0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 30 Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught and he said to them come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while for there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them, and they came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread, and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks and hundreds and and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the miracles of Christ and specifically on that occasion uh, his raising from the dead. And we looked to see what we could learn for by the obvious and uh, what spiritual import does the miracle of Christ have for us as believers today. Remembering, of course, that not all of the miracles that Jesus did are included in Holy Scripture. Just a select few, actually. And this feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Mark 6 and John 6 and Luke 9 and Matthew 14. Therefore, that causes it to have a seal upon it as one of the utmost importance What is it saying to us? What is it saying about us? What is it saying about Christ? What is it saying about the needs of others? The context of the miracle is this. It's been a very particularly busy period in the lives of Christ and his disciples. It was always busy, but this was a particularly busy time. And not only that, But the news had come to them that John the Baptist had been beheaded, which was a terrible thing. And of course, Jesus sensed among the group and, of course, by himself, that they needed a little break from all the ministry that they had been doing. And so we see here that in verse 31 32, he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Everybody needs to rest. A while, Somebody said, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And so we all need some rest at some times. Even the Son of God felt he needed a rest. Certainly the disciples did. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed into a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But we saw there how the crowds, anticipating where they were going, got ahead of them. And others from other cities, when the word spread, joined them. And so by the time they arrived at the other side, there was a great multitude. We know it was at least 5,000 men besides women and children. So this is a massive mega crowd that was waiting when Jesus and the disciples arrived. And it tells us there that Jesus had compassion on them when he saw their needs. When he saw this great crowd as sheep without a shepherd, his heart went out to them. He felt for them. Now, there's three elements to this particular passage: there's the master, there's the ministers, and there is the multitude. There is the word, there's the workers, and there's the world. And so we fit into this. We have a part to play. Jesus, first of all, we see, was motivated to minister by compassion. Both Matthew and Mark say that when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Luke says he received them because of compassion. Matthew, because of compassion, says he healed them. Mark 6, he taught them. John 6, he fed them. All of this flowed out of a heart of compassion for the needs and the needy people that was there. The word compassion comes from a word which means with suffering. In other words, it's something that you really feel. You feel the hurts of others and you enter into that. You feel their suffering. It's not just sympathy, it's more than that. It's empathy. You empathize, you get involved because you feel their hurt and their need. And this is what motivated Jesus when he was touched with the feelings, the Bible says, of our infirmities, our weaknesses. As human beings, we are weak in many areas, and we get hurt through our weaknesses. And Jesus feels our weaknesses. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so Jesus was moved, the Bible says. It caused him to do something. He didn't stand there and just look at them and think about them. He did something about it. Jesus mourned over the multitude. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The disciples, all they did was moan about the multitude. They moaned about it. They were tired. They were weary. They were hungry themselves. They wanted rest. And when they saw the multitudes, they just moaned. What did they say? Send them away. We have no bread. It's a desert place. Two hundred pennyworth is not enough. The night is far spent. The day is far spent. The night's coming on. Just send them away. (laughs) In their humanity, that's how they felt. The trouble is, when you go to minister to people, you'll find that many times it will come at the most inconvenient time. It's going to cost you your time. Your time. Your precious time. And often at the most inconvenient time. It will cost you your talents. Whatever ability you have, you'll have to share it. You'll have to give it. It's going to involve your temperament. It was easy to see the disciples' temperament here. They were tired, they were weary, they were fed up. <clears throat> they had enough for today, thank you very much. The last thing they wanted to see was another multitude. These had just come back from being out there ministering. Jesus sent them out and they come back with a great report and they're excited and happy about that. But that was the day done, thank you very much. It's time to rest now. But when they come to the other side, there's this great heaving multitude of people I read recently where a, a minister, he was in, I think it was one Indonesian country, and of uh, the course they had traveled there, and you know anybody that's traveled around the world knows travel is very tiring, it's exhausting actually. And he says, we got there and we got into the service, and there 2,000 people at it. He said, just before I got up to preach, the, the pastor said to me, by the way, he said, I want you to lay hands on every single person and pray for them, because they expect that. And he says, we're a very small team. And I thought, oh dear. (laughs) I'm really tired. (laughs) And there's 2,000 people. This is going to take a long time. And they had another service that night. There was probably, I think there was more of it. And so, your temperament will be tested. And again, if it's inconvenient and you're tired and you're weary, your temperament will really be stretched to the max. And your resources... Whatever you have, whether that's emotional resources or physical resources or practical resources or whatever it may be, it's going to be stretched. But without compassion, you'll never last. Without compassion, without feeling for people, you'll never make it when it comes to ministering. I can guarantee you that all of these situations will happen if you decide that you're going to minister to people whatever capacity. You'll be tested. The needs of people are never ending. There will be always somebody needing your help. And when you're at your tiredest, you're demanding your time and your resources, that's when they'll be needed Most. They did not have time even to eat. Did you notice that? Why do you think the Holy Spirit said that? To give us an idea how exhausting that day was for them, how busy it was, how tiresome it was. They were hungry too. No doubt they wanted the crowd to go away so they could get something to eat. These were just ordinary men with ordinary feelings. No different than we are today. But neither hunger or tiredness was going to stop Jesus ministering to this crowd. And John 1 it says that Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and he touched the leper. He touched the untouchable. He touched the man that nobody would even go near. But because of his compassion, he made sure that he touched him. Have I often said on preaching in that, that man, if he needed anything, even more than being healed, it was somebody, somewhere to touch him, to identify with him. Again, that minister I told you about who was ministering to that 2,000 people, he said he went to India and uh, they went to the Dalit people. The Dalit people is a caste that is terribly, shamefully looked down upon. Treat it worse than Cattle. Nobody wants to be involved. Nobody wants to go near them. Nobody wants to touch them. But he says, we deliberately went to the Dalit people. And rather than just pray for them, we hugged them and we touched them and we embraced them. And he says, grown men were crying because of that. Because they were like lepers in their own country, in their own community. Matthew 20:33 says that Jesus had compassion on two blind men and he healed them. Matthew 23 he wept over Jerusalem. In John 11 he wept for the bereaved for Mary for Martha when he saw what death was doing to humanity. In Luke 7, 13, he had compassion on the widow of Nain and he raised up her son from the dead. The good Samaritan in Luke 10 had compassion on the man, it says. When the priest and the Levi looked the other way and crossed over the road to avoid this poor, helpless hurting man. That that Samaritan went, Jesus said, because of compassion. And he ministered to him. What a wonderful illustration how they annoyed those religious Jews who hated the Samaritans. But Jesus said because of compassion. And because of that, the man was wonderfully touched, ministered to In Luke 15, when it talks about the prodigal, it talks about the father who every day looked out to see if his son was coming over the hill. And then that day he eventually came. His father ran towards him. He had compassion on him. And he hugged him and he kissed him and they wept together. And then he threw a great party for him but it was his compassionate heart. He could have been harsh to him because the son had demeaned him. The son had taken his money and run. But the father's compassionate heart forgave him. And this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8, Have compassion one for another. If you're going to minister to people, you're going to need compassion. You're going to have to feel and enter in to their hurt and to their need. If you can't do that, you'll not be ministering. You may say, I'm thinking about you, or I'll pray for you. And sometimes maybe because of distance and so forth, that's all you can do. But where and when you can if you've got compassion, you'll do more than that. Second thing, where the disciples saw problems, Jesus saw opportunities. Disciples said, Send them away. Jesus said, Let them not depart. Disciples said, They have no bread. Jesus said, You give them something to eat. The disciples said, 200 pennyworth is not enough. Jesus said, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. All the disciples could see were problems. All Jesus could see was opportunities. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, said Martha and Mary. It's a problem. You should have been here. Whenever we sent for you, if only you had come to us at that moment, You could have hated our brother and he wouldn't have died. It's a big problem. And that's all they could see. Jesus saw an opportunity. A great opportunity. An opportunity to show them that he was the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. And they says, we know that. In the resurrection, on the last day. He says, but I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Jesus saw opportunities. The damsel is dead. Don't trouble the master any further. Jairus went for Jesus. Jesus says, I'll come and heal your daughter. Little woman got in the way, receiving her healing. That took up time. And lo and behold, after that, It was too late. People came from his house and says, Don't bother the master. It's too late. Your child has died. And Jesus looked at Jairus. And he says, Fear not. Only believe. He could see the opportunity. Jairus could only see the problem. How many times are we like that? We only see the problem. And Jesus sees the opportunity. Jesus met that Samaritan woman at the well, Sychar's well. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get on at all. In fact if you couldn't think of anything bad enough to call someone, the Jew would call you a Samaritan. I mean, that was just the worst they could call you. And they did that with Jesus in John 8, 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? What an insult! The greatest insult is to call him a Samaritan, as far as they were concerned. When it came to Samaria... Any self-respecting Jew would have went around it, not through it. You avoided it at all costs. Whatever you do, do not go through Samaria. Why? Because you're going to meet Samaritans. And we don't want to meet them, right? Because we hate them. I'm not exaggerating. That was the feeling. They would have went miles out of their way rather than take a shortcut through Samaria but not Jesus. The Bible says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at a well and he had to make that appointment. And so he goes there and he meets that woman at the well. For those disciples, it was inconvenient It cut right across the grain of their spiritual and religious prejudices. They couldn't see any purpose in it. What possible good could come out of it? It's a waste of time. But Jesus had a purpose. He had a plan. He saw a great opportunity. And we know that, and we don't need to read it, that he met that woman at the well, and after that wonderful conversation... And Jesus put his finger right on the problem in her life. And he won her to himself. And she became a flaming evangelist. (laughs) Immediately, she left her pots. She went into the village. And every man she could meet, she told him about this. Is this not the Christ? (laughs) This man told me all things ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And that crowd came out and heard Jesus for themselves and he won them too. A whole village was one. Hallelujah. A whole village was one. Samaritans of all people. What a lesson for those disciples. Inconvenient, cut across all of their prejudices, everything. And Jesus went right there to that very place. Later on they would understand when they got that great commission from the resurrected Christ to preach in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Disciples saw problems, Jesus saw opportunities might be surprised at the opportunities the Lord will give us that initially will seem to be a problem, an inconvenience. or will cut across the grain of how we feel. But if we take that step, what opportunities will arise? The women of worth have been going now to those women aid centers. They're limited to what they can say but just by being there and blessing them and encouraging them and just loving them and helping them, it's opened up a whole new door of opportunity. And some of those women will never forget it. It could be the turning point in some of their lives because somebody took the trouble and the bother to do it. Amen? Jesus wants the saints to be servants. He wants his leaders to be laborers. Mark chapter 10. Read it in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do something. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you indeed will drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first "...shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." Isn't that a powerful verse? You know, when you think about that, "...for even the Son of Man did not come to be served." Here is the King of glory. Here's the King of angels. And yet he comes to this earth not expecting at all, not looking for anyone to serve him on that personal level. Many did, but he wasn't looking for it. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 13, there's that wonderful example, of course, at the Last Supper where Jesus when they're all sitting there. This is just hours before he would die. And there they're sitting, arguing among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> so Jesus, being the master illustrator, took that towel, that apron, of the back of the door and donned it and took a basin of water and bent down began to wash the disciples' feet. What condescension. What servanthood. What humility. That the Son of God, no less, would stoop down and wash the feet of human beings. And you know what Peter, his reaction was? Lord, you're washing my feet. Never dawned on him He should have been washing Jesus' feet. Somebody in that room, some one of those men, whenever they all come in, some one of them ought to have had the humility to say, Let me wash your feet, Lord. But not one of them did it. And even when Jesus did it, it didn't dawn on them because they thought, Well, we're in the same level. We're the ministers. We don't wash feet, we're leaders. And Jesus had to shake them out of that carnal attitude. Peter says, "You shall never wash my feet." Is that right?" Jesus said. "Then you will not have any part with me." <laughs> and Peter, being the extremist, says, "Lord, not my feet, then, all of me." <laughs> he says, "No, I don't need to wash all just your feet." Somebody said that before we ever wear the robes of a ruler, we need to wear the apron of a servant. You know, that's what the Lord looks for. When he's looking for people to be involved in his kingdom to minister for him, he's looking for a servant's heart. He's looking for volunteers. He's looking for somebody who will put themselves out and not even think about it. Just do it. And when he sees that servant's heart, trust me, he can promote that. He can do that. Those disciples that were in the soup kitchen early on in Acts, who were happy to serve soup, happy to work in the kitchen, But Jesus saw they could do more than that. They became great evangelists. But they started out in the soup kitchen. Mark is an action book. 41 times it says straightway or immediately. Ezekiel chapter 1 and Revelation 4. Ezekiel and John sees a similar vision. They see these living creatures. Strange looking living creatures. Ezekiel said each one had four faces. Face of a lion, face of an ox, face of a man, face of an eagle. It's often been said that these can be symbolic of the four gospels and Christ's ministry in the four gospels. Matthew preaches the gospel of the Messiah. Messiah. It's the royal gospel. Mark speaks of the servant, Jehovah's servant. Luke speaks of the son of man. Luke says more about Christ's humanity than any other gospel writer. And John speaks about the son of God, about his deity. So each of these four symbols recognizes something of Christ's ministry and his character and his nature. And it's interesting that the ox is represented by Luke, the servant. The ox is the beast of burden, isn't it? It's the worker. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is continually working, 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 serving, serving, serving. And so he wants his disciples to be servants. And in this great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he gets them to serve. He makes them to make the multitude sit down in ranks by fifties and by hundreds. No doubt they would be able then to walk up and down between the ranks to serve them. There was a method to this. The word for ranks is the same word, it's a word that we get flower beds from. Lay out a flower bed, usually lay it out some kind of symmetrical shape, except the ones in Moira that does the Moira flowers, I don't know who they are. My wife said it has to be a man, it can't be a woman because they're not color-coordinated and they're all shapes. (laughs) She's mean to me, of course, because I'm the worst, worst gardener. (laughs) Can you imagine that multitude sitting out in ranks and groups? What a colorful sight that must have been. All in little communities, all over that green grass and that hillside. Must have been some sight to see. But notice here in Matthew 6, 43, that they had to collect the fragments that remained in the baskets. So that means then that these disciples were employed before, because they had to go and find the bread and the fish, during they were serving and afterwards taking up the remains. So they were fully employed in this. They were fully involved in this. Most Christians... Want to be like the crowd on the hillside being served. Serve me. Cater to me. Help me. Do something for me. And Jesus wants us to get away from that mentality to say, rather, what can I do? How can I serve? What can I contribute? Which part of the body am I to fit in? Am my hand? Am my foot? on my ear? on my nose? Am I an eye? What part am I? Every joint supplies, Paul says. Every joint in the body supplies something. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, Paul says, We are laborers together with God. 1 Timothy 5.17 talks about those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Jesus said that the fields are already white unto harvest. It's the laborers that are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest field. There's work to be done. There's a job to be completed before the Lord returns. And then fourthly, Jesus is only obligated to do the part that we cannot do ourselves. You give them something to eat, he said. But Lord, <laughs> I don't know about you, but in so many ways I've said that over the years. But Lord, 200 pennyworth is not enough. The day is far spent. It's a deserted place. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong people. But Jesus didn't take that for an answer, did he? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Five loaves and two fishes. But Lord, there is again, what is that among so many? So he looked up into heaven and he blessed the bread and the fish. And he break them. He can only bless what we bring. He can only grace what we give. Their part didn't seem very much. In comparison to his part, it was tiny. Five little loaves, two small fishes. What is that among so many? But that's the part they could do. It was the only part they could do. It was all they could do. But it was enough in his hands. He multiplied it. He stretched it. He made it go further than they ever could do. We're only obligated to do the part that we can do. We've got a part, he's got a bigger part. We can't do his and he won't do ours. Go and see, he said. See what you can do. Find out what's out there. Bring me something to work with. Now, of course, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He could have fed them out of fresh air if he wanted. We didn't want to. He wanted them to have a part and to play a part. Jesus said, "To those at the tomb of Lazarus, "Roll away the stone." Don't you think he who spoke to the dead and raised the dead could have made that stone disappear in a puff of smoke? Of course he could. He was God in human flesh. But that was the part they could do. Then he did the part they couldn't do. Elijah, Elijah said to the little widow woman. He met the little widow woman. And she was gathering some sticks. She's going to light a little fire. She's a little meal in a bar, a little oil. She's going to make some cakes for her and her son. She's going to eat them, she's going to die. That's how bad things were. And Elijah was a culprit because he was the one who called for the drought. (laughs) So then he said, okay, go and do that, but... Make me a little cake first. I'm going to make two cakes. One for me, one for my son. We're going to eat them or die. He said, hey, listen, give me one. Didn't seem like a very nice preacher, did he? But he knew God was going to do a miracle. But she had to take that step of faith, didn't she? She had to do Something. And that something was, make me a cake first. And she made him the cake. And you know the story. The meat in that bar did not run dry until the drought was over. Elisha met a widow woman. She didn't have much either. He wanted to help her. What do you have in the house? What do you have? I have nothing, she said, except a little cruise of oil. That's all I've got. A wee drop of oil, not much. So he said, go out, borrow vessels, not a few. Bring them in and start pouring that little oil into those vessels. And as she did that, lo and behold, each vessel was filled to the brim until she ran out of vessels, till there was no more vessels left. Now he said, you can use some of that, the rest you can sell it, and then live off that, until the drought's over. Huh. Why am I saying that? Because, if we're going to minister Christ's way, he's going to ask us to do Something. may not be much or it may be a sacrifice. may not be much in itself but it may be a sacrifice to give it or to do it. You may have to sacrifice time, effort, talent, something practical, something. But you do it and then he does the bit you can't do. Only Jesus well finally will finish. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger in every man's soul. Five thousand men besides women and children. There must have been at least fifteen thousand there, maybe twenty thousand. That's a massive crowd, isn't it? I mean would fill a football stadium. And yet every single one of them found the answer to their hunger. No one was refused. No one was disappointed. Every one of them was filled. And every one of them's hunger was satisfied. Only Christ can satisfy the hunger in every man's heart. Whether it's Peter or Paul, whether it's Luke or Lydia, whether it's the jailer or Joanna, whether it's Jairus or James, whether it's the woman at the well or Nisimus in the cell, it doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, slave or master, every single one can be satisfied with Christ. Do you remember how that whenever Jesus was crucified on the cross, how that Pilate put up that sign, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews? And he had it written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The three great civilizations of the day. The three great world civilizations, the three great languages. And he put it up there. And he didn't know how prophetic that would be. That Jesus would speak to every man and every woman and every boy and girl the world over. He could speak to them and he could satisfy their hunger. Tony bought me a great book at Christmas and so I've been engrossed with it. And it's all about Muslims who found Christ. And we're talking about some of these guys who were jihadists, who were full of hatred and bitterness. His whole life from a child jumped into them was to kill Jews and kill Christians. And they grew up with that but they had an encounter with the living Christ. And they've been completely radicalized for Jesus. (laughs) It's a fascinating book, Tony. I appreciate it too. It's wonderful testimonies of how Christ can reach the hardest, the most bitter hearts imaginable and at great cost to these men because their families would disown them. For they had such an encounter with Christ, they couldn't walk away. Only Jesus can satisfy belonging in every man's soul. Why did Jesus get them to gather up the fragments that remain? Well, many times we say to be a blessing to that little boy who gave his lunch. Maybe it was to show the prove that this was indeed a mighty miracle. Maybe a lesson in stewardship. Maybe a reward to the disciples. Or perhaps it was just simply to show them or to remind the disciples that Jesus is interested in the broken, fragmented hearts and lives of ordinary people. Lots of people who have broken hearts and fragmented lives, shattered. And Jesus is interested in every single piece of their heart. He wants to mend them and heal them and save them and redeem them. That's the Christ that we serve. And he wants us to minister to broken hearts, to fragmented lives, to people who have no hope, who have no hope in this world and if we can minister to them in Jesus name for Jesus sake what a difference it can make in the lives of people amen come we pray Lord, we thank you for the tremendous privilege and honor that you have granted each of us to live for you and to serve you and to serve others for you. Lord, what a privilege that is to touch the life of another human being for Jesus' sake, to minister your mercy and your compassion and your goodness. What a blessing that is, Lord. So help us, Lord, as we draw to the close of an old year and stand at the threshold of a new year, Lord, to be more determined than ever to serve you with a greater passion, with a greater intensity. Because, Lord, the days are drawing close. Your coming is soon. The night comes when no man can work so we've got to work while it is yet day. So we give you thanks for this, for the privilege of knowing you and serving you, whatever capacity that is, Lord, whether it's publicly or whether it's privately, whether it's in a pulpit or whether it's in the workplace, Lord, there's a way to serve you and to touch others for your sake. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.